welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. So to make a brief liturgical note, the symbolism of blowing out the candles there has no symbolism. Um, we, uh, we tried new lamp oil, and it, it was producing a lot of smoke and starting to gather up there. And I don't want to be responsible for setting off First Baptist um, smoke alarms. So that's the symbolism of that. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father... Reveal yourself to us and let us know the peace and the unity that comes only by way of you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you've noticed, um, but it seems like there's a lot of hostility and division in our society today. I mean, it might be just me, but... um, the little bit of Baptist that's coming out of everybody there, you know, mm-hmm, like that uh, shows that I might not be completely alone. But it seems like, like dividing lines have been clearly marked and, and, and separating us. It's almost as if a, 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 a war is brewing, but instead of using tanks, we're using computer keyboards. And as I reflected on this, this, um, this tension and this hostility that, that we're seeing in our current moment, but especially as we're heading into to Christmas, I was reminded of a story about something that happened on Christmas Eve night in 1914. You might have heard of this. It came later to be called the Christmas Truce of 1914 was, you know, uh, uh, early on in World War I. And at the Western Front, you had the Germans and you had the British, and they were locked into an extremely heated battle, holding their lines but not falling back. And there was intense fighting for months and months. In between their two lines was an area that was, was filled with with ravines and, and, and bunkers, and, and that was called the no-man's land. Each held their ground. And on Christmas Eve night, in 1914, all of a sudden some German troops started singing Silent Night in German. And then other German troops started joining them. And across no man's land, the British heard the singing. They didn't understand the words, but they knew the tune. So they started singing Silent Night in English. And all of a sudden, there's a beautiful chorus of German and English singing out that beautiful Christmas hymn. And then some of the soldiers from both sides put down their weapons walked out of their bunkers, and walked out onto no man's land. 
And the next thing you know, you had both German and British troops all gathered together in no man's land. Singing Christmas hymns together. Sharing gifts and food. Participating in each other's funerals. So that even some of them played soccer together. It's because for a moment, at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, they laid aside their national identities. Hostility and deep socio-political divisions. Military agenda. And fix their eyes on Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace. Even though this was just a momentary thing, I think it's a beautiful picture that captures a bit of what Paul is depicting in our epistle lesson today. But as we reflect on this idea of hostility and and division, even though it feels like something new or worse is happening, there's nothing new about division and hostility. It's always been there. What is different is what divides us. We just keep reshuffling the deck. I mean, in, in certain times, it might be political and social, social ideology, or it might be national allegiance, or, or it might be wealth and social status. It might be religion or denomination. In different times, there were different things that divided us. It could have been race, emphasizing skin tone, or at other times, emphasizing nationality, family, name, or tribe. Different things marked us, identified us, determined who our enemy was, but the division was there. If you go all the way back to Cain and Abel, I mean, you had this division between those who work produce and those who work livestock, right? (laughs) But if you look in the first century, the major division, at least the major division that was surrounding the church, was a division between Jew and Gentile, particularly the Jews and the Roman Gentiles. In our passage today, we see Paul poignantly applying the gospel to that division. And I think it will speak profoundly to us today as we are setting out to establish a new church, a new community. Even though our issue and our dividing lines are not marked by Jew and Gentile as much. Think will provide profound insight to be a community of peace and unity in the midst of hostility and division. So I want to just briefly look at how the gospel forms bonds of peace in a unified new community through the idea of a new identity, a new society, and a new residence. So if you have your bulletins, be looking at the Ephesians passage. Um, Better yet, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. So a new identity. Paul begins in Ephesians 2, 11. He says, therefore, we're going to stop there. Um, You know how like some churches really emphasize preaching verse by verse? 
In our church, like, we're going to preach, like, word by word. <laughs> nah, I kid. Um, but, but it's important because, see, this, this therefore, Paul is indicating something important. What he's indicating is that everything he is about to say is a product or a result of what he had previously said. And if you go and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we see Paul emphasizing the central reality of this gospel, that we are by grace through faith saved, not by our own works, that any man may boast. It says that through Christ we have been reconciled to God. The animosity or, 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 that is between man and God the hostility that exists has been removed. That we are now seated with Christ, children of God. And this is important for us to remember because it indicates that unity and true community are a secondary result of a greater reality. I say this a lot. Luckily, this is a new church, so it might seem like I'm coming up with new ideas. You just wait. Um, but what I found to be interesting, especially in Christian circles, is the more that we get focused and centered on this ideal community, the more we can fall into the trap of destroying the very thing we're seeking to establish. I mean, I've, I've seen so often that, you know, you gather together and it's, we're, we're going to create authentic Christian community. Because all the other churches are doing such a bad job of it that we're going to do it right. And it's good for a little bit. And then you know what ends up happening? You have to start kicking people out because they suck at community. And then the next thing you know, there's a handful of you meeting in somebody's basement, all complaining about how nobody cares about community. You just end up reshuffling the deck. Between those who share our vision of an ideal community and those who don't. But see, the thing is, is that unity always comes by way of coming together around something greater. And 2, 1 through 10 shows this reality that is greater to be the gospel of Christ. And continue in 2, 11 through 13. And he shows that one of these things that the gospel provides that establishes this, this unity and peace and community is a new identity. 11 through 13, he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, Paul starts by reminding them of their past, what they were delivered from, to point to the fact that though that was their old identity, they have a new identity, but that new identity has been granted to them by grace. That there is no place for arrogance or pride or sense of superiority 
over the other. Because you were once that. But now you are what you are by grace. And also it's interesting because in this he uses similar language that God used speaking to Israel about their deliverance from Egypt. Pulling them together, indicating that even though Jew and Gentile might have been delivered from different circumstances, they share the exact same deliverance. They are what they are because of God's grace. It's important for us to remember here and now that we are together because we share the same grace, the same blood, the same redemption. And like the Jews and Gentiles, we may be delivered from very different pasts, different bondages, and different hurts. Nevertheless, it is the same God delivering all of us. See, in Christ, the church is given a new identity, an identity that is not primarily Jew or Gentile, not based on social class, nationality, not based upon political views or economic stances, not based upon music tastes or the fact that you are part of some weird, strange, underground niche group. And we have a new identity as redeemed child of God, brought near by the blood of Christ, justified by grace, being perfected by grace, and made heirs with Christ by grace. So you have the new identity and then the new society. In 2, 14 through 19. Now, if you read through 14 through 19, as we just did, you'll notice a refrain that goes over and over and over again. Peace, peace. It says that Christ establishes peace. That he is our peace. That he came preaching peace. And this term peace has great significance both for the Jew and the Gentile. For the Jew, they would understand this idea of peace as shalom, which is often translated peace, but it means a whole lot more than what we normally mean by peace. Shalom carries this idea of wholeness and well-being, unity and harmony. In the Jewish mind, everything is understood through the realm of division and chaos and unity and peace. That where there is rebellion and separation from God, there is division and chaos. But where God is present, there is shalom, wholeness, unity, and well-being. But for the, the, the Gentile, they would have, at that time in history, prided themselves on this idea of Pax Romana, Roman peace. This idea of, of a period of prosperity and, and, and peace and security for the people of Rome that was, was initiated by Octavian, Caesar Augustus. Of course, the one thing that is interesting, both for the Jew and the Gentile, see, the Jews saw that and longed for this peace, the shalom, to be brought about by God through the Messiah, but they thought he was going to do so by subjugating the Gentiles and by force removing Roman occupation. And even though there was a relative level of peace 
for the people of Rome during this, this period of time, it wasn't peace for everyone. Because that peace was brought by, by conquering other people groups and subjugating them, such as the Jews. Then you have Paul say that Jesus not only establishes peace, he is our peace. The true peace, wholeness, and unity is centered ultimately on the person of Christ. And this peace was brought about by his blood, not the blood of others, and not by the blood of our enemies. Taking on the division and hostility brought about by the fall upon himself. To establish a new society. A new community marked by shalom. A peace that far exceeds anything that Caesar Augustus could ever establish. And this new peace, this, this peace in this new society is also tied to this idea of first tearing down an old structure. In 14 through 15, Paul talks of the wall of hostility, which then he says is the law. Which would have been shocking. Because the law is good. And the law is of God. But the law also separated Jew from Gentile. It kept the Gentile from being able to come even near the sanctuary. There was literally a wall that was built in the outer courts of the temple. That kept the Gentile away. An archaeologist have found that they had marked on this wall this statement. No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt or the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. A little bit of hostility there. But not only did it separate Jew and Gentile, it separated them from God for no one was able to fulfill the law. In our fallenness, there was hostility and division between each other, but there was also that division between us and God. In Romans 5, Paul says that we were enemies of God. But then he goes on to say, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received Reconciliation. The wall of hostility was torn down because the law was fulfilled through Christ's body, which was beaten and nailed to the cross. Peace was made and hostility killed by Christ's own death. And he says that in that he is creating one new man in the place of two. Together as one body reconciled to God. And this language of new man, this idea of a new humanity, of a new society, should draw our attention back to the garden. As much as we talk about the exhaustive scope of the gospel, we also need to recognize the, the, the exhaustive implications of the fall. Impacting every facet of our life. And we see within the Genesis account that as when man fell from God, it created division between him and God, but then that spilled out into division with each other. And ultimately, it even impacted and created animosity between man and creation. And the gospel 
is the complete, full reversal of the effects of the fall. That we are restored to God. And by being restored to God, we are then restored to one another. Reconciled to each other. And then we see at the end, in the completion of God's redemptive work through the gospel, we have a new heavens and a new earth. Man's relationship to creation itself restored. But this is important to recognize because the, our being joined together in, in, in unity, in a community of peace, of shalom, is not an option. It is a central part of our redemption. Being bound together in community with the walls of hostility torn down, is not just so that because it's a good environment for our own personal spirituality. This is part of God's grand redemptive work and is central to the work of the gospel. So we have new identity, new society, finally a new residence. In 220 through 22, since we were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So after tearing down the walls, a new structure is being built. The church. In which the imagery is showing each of us as bricks being built together to create a new structure upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ as the chief cornerstone. This language of apostles and prophets is language that points to the foundation of Scripture for us as the church. That, is, that, that it is through God's self-revelation, through the Word of God, that we are being built up. And now I, I know that there is differences in interpretations. And there always has been. But as we wrestle together with those things, we all recognize that as the church, that it is God's word that is our final authority. But in that, all of it's held together by Christ. And all of it points to Christ. Everything is ultimately built upon Christ. Even Scripture itself is ultimately about Him and points to Him. I would say that, that what is most important and significant about the written Word of God is that it points us beyond itself to the living Word of God, who is Christ. It says that we are joined together, which is actually a term that was used in holy matrimony, talking about a man and woman being joined together in marriage. This joining together is a joining of intimacy and reliance upon one another. To be a new temple, the dwelling place of God through his spirit. This is so critical. Because being a community of peace or forming a new church as a community of peace and unity cannot be built nor maintained by us. 
but we must recognize our utter dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that, the church is to be the dwelling place of God. That's huge, if you think about it. That our community, because the Spirit is present within it, is the place where others may encounter the living, sovereign God of the universe. It's a reminder that we are to be a community of people that would likely not be hanging out together. That one from the outside would maybe even expect us to have hostility towards each other. But we are joined together by Christ being built upon the gospel and scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a new identity. We have a new society. A new dwelling place. And I want to close with just a thought on each on how that speaks to us now. As a new church being formed in the current environment in which we live. First with new identity. We all have different backgrounds in history. And many of those things have shaped us and formed us into who we are. And that's the beauty of the diversity of us. But we have to remember that if you're in Christ, we share a common new identity that is supreme to all other identities. We're not first and foremost Americans, Republicans, or Democrats, Libertarians or Socialists, Vegans or Avid Hunters, White Collar, Blue Collar, Redneck or Cultured. We're not primarily homeschoolers, public schoolers, or private schoolers. No, primarily, we are not any of those things that just happen to be Christians. And we are first and foremost Christians redeemed by the blood of Christ and made heirs of a shared inheritance by grace who also might happen to be some of those things. And we are bound together by our new shared identity. New society. We are to be a new community, a countercultural society built upon grace, granted to us through the blood of Christ. And as such, there is no place for arrogance and superiority, the destructive need to tear down others to prove ourselves or justify ourselves, or the pressure to appear more holy than we are or more righteous and put together than the person a few rows in front of us. And because we have all been brought near by grace, we can show grace to each other. And this does not mean that wrongs are not acknowledged and we, that we don't speak up when offended, but we do so with a disposition of grace and readiness to forgive. Listen, we will offend and hurt each other. Because though we're, we are redeemed, we're not yet perfected. I will likely offend a lot of you. <laughs> Disappoint and let down. Probably irritate. A lot of you will irritate me. <laughs> Here's the thing. 
We're not bound together because I really, really, really like you and we like to hang out together. Some of you I do. Some of you we may not have anything else in common. We're bound together because we have Christ in common. And as a new society established by Christ's gospel, we function under a new set of values and a disposition of grace that is quite foreign to the world in which we live. And finally, the new residence. No matter how insignificant, frail, or jacked up our little church might be. As we move into weekly services, if we dwindle down to six of us. Together, we are the temple of the living God. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I mean, what? Take a moment to think about the significance of that. See, we're not establishing a new religious organization to simply offer theological education or social events. We're not just a place for people to come together out of a shared affinity for ancient liturgy. We are a community being formed and joined together by the blood of Christ as a dwelling place for Almighty God through the Holy Spirit. To be a place where others might encounter him. And it should be liberating to know that the formation of a church of peace and unity is not dependent on our ability, but instead is dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Binding us together, enabling us to let go of the facade of our own sufficiency by relying on the power of God in our midst granted by the Holy Spirit. So back to the truce of 1914. In subsequent years, some tried to recreate the truce during Christmas. But military commanders and higher-ups would not allow it. So fighting ensued through Christmas, all the Christmases following 1914. But what happened that one Christmas Eve is in some ways, I think, a small picture of what we are to be as a church. Despite deep divisions regarding social, political, economic, and cultural views, despite their identity as Brits or Germans, despite the social and political pressures to continue the fighting, for a brief moment they identified first and foremost as Christians, celebrating the coming of the Prince of Peace. And for us, our church should in many ways be a perpetual truce of 1914. Where we lay aside our differences, not to pretend the differences don't exist. Or even to ignore the fact that some of those differences may be of great significance. But to be joined together by a greater reality. A greater calling. A supreme identity that is rooted in Christ. So that in spite of the many things that create hostility between us, through Christ we can sing together, we can pray together, we can bury our dead, can play soccer when we're Americans, play pickup football, and live into this new reality created by the radical gospel of Christ. So I ask, as we seek to establish this new church, that we all pray that, God's, that by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God might form us into such a community of peace and unity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Tongue, thy free grace alone from the first to the